Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh never mind yeah you know what time it is ladies and gentlemen it's stuff that's real time we're coming back at you, back at, back to you, back from you, back with you. We're coming back from something to you, to to your earlobes with some more stuff that's real. If you didn't know it was real, you may have thought it was real, but kind of wondered if it was real, but actually is also cool podcast. That's a new name, by the way. I'm going to add that to the show notes there, that full name. Anyway, new names aside, I am Nick Thacker, and I'm here with my best bud, Mr. Kevin Tumlinson, Dr. Kevin Tumlinson. Doctor Esquire Tumlinson, J. Kevin Tumlinson, the first, the third. Yeah, so this episode is going to be a lot of fun. Do you know why it's going to be a lot of fun, Kevin? I'm not sure. I'm going to make you go first. That's why it's going to be a lot of fun. This ought to be quick, actually, because I picked a topic. No, I know what I'm talking about. I picked a topic, and there's there's quite a bit to discuss about this. It's interesting. It's something I've known about for years. But there was a sort of somewhat recent development with it that brought it back to my attention. And so I wanted to cover it. And the art, the article I found isn't really an article per se. It's more of a, I could have picked any article, but I liked this one because it's from the National Park Service. And it has all these details about and warnings about this thing. I, I, we'll get to it. Okay, so okay. here's the deal. <laughs> so we all know that rocks do not, as a rule, move on their own. Hmm. And that's true just about everywhere, but it is not true at what's known as the racetrack in Death Valley. So this is a story that comes out of Death Valley National Park, which spans over the border of both California and Nevada. And you may have heard about this. So there is this phenomenon that someone noticed forever ago about these moving rocks. And basically what was happening is this dry lake bed. Let's see, I'll read this line. It says, nestled in the remote valley between the Cottonwood and Last Chance Ranges, the racetrack is a place of stunning beauty and mystery. The racetrack is a playa, a dry lake bed, best known for its strange moving rocks. Basically, there's this dry lake bed out in the middle of uh, Death Valley where people were starting to notice whenever they were there that there were rock, there were trails that indicated that these rocks might be moving. 
but there was so people have been investigating this for a very long time but there was no real evidence of how this would happen there's been all kinds of wild theories including an alien intervention that's a good that's one that you just knew was inevitably going to be there but these the base one of the things that happened was they started uh, putting up markers some people went out and they did things like put a ring of poles around a couple of rocks and then they'd come back months later and one of the rocks had moved out of those poles and there was a trail <laughs> behind it. Now, people have, have wondered, is someone going out there? Are animals moving them? Are, right. are people doing this as a prank? Well, it's very difficult to get out to these rocks without leaving any sort of trace. Sure. That was exactly what was happening. And over the years, the method of trying to figure out this mystery has become more and more sophisticated, including not too terribly long ago, I think it was 2013, 13 or so 2010 these a couple of brothers who were scientists decided they wanted to figure this mystery out so they went out to this place and they installed little gps trackers on some of the rocks and they placed some of their own rocks out there and and left all that and then they because the trackers were set to only alert them when they moved they would get a computer alert or something uh, if the, the rock moved well a very long time went by, months, maybe years, uh, before they finally got a ping. And they did see that there was a movement on the GPS. Now, they so they immediately start checking, like, what's happening at that time? What's going on? So the first thing, of course, is you check, you know, like, tectonic movement. Is there any, are there earthquakes? What was the wind like that day? They had set up wind towers, a little weather station. But basically, there was nothing happening that should have caused those rocks to move. There was a, you know, in the de in the desert, in Death Valley, you know, you think of deserts and they're very hot <laughs> during the day, but they can get down to below freezing at night, especially during the winter months. So even though it might be triple digits and high triple digits at that during the day, at night, it could get well below freezing. So one well, theory- Like a desert just means low rainfall. Yeah. So you, you've exactly. got like deserts that are frozen 24-7, but you just don't get any rainfall. Exactly. So that's all. So, but yeah. one of the theories was that somehow there were ice sheets that were forming and, and pushing these rocks. That was one theory. But they, when they started researching, like there was no rainfall, there was no way for ice to form, and so that was out. Then a couple other ideas came along and were proven or disproven in various ways. But... It, in 2014, finally, we got a resolution, and it turned out that a that previously discarded theory about ice was actually on track, just not in the way anyone suspected. So, what happened in 20 in August of 2014 was that there was light rainfall, but there was also water shed from the mountain ranges in you know the area, condensation on the ground, that sort of thing. And what was happening was it was forming a thin sheet of ice, not much thicker than paper. But then the winds would come along and pick up basically like one corner of that ice and would just be powerful enough to start it shifting and sliding. Mm. And because the rocks were sort of partially frozen in that, they were being dragged along as that ice moved yeah and then the ice here, would melt be enough water to cover the playa's uh bottom a uh, base yeah. uh, floor i guess but not enough water to cover the rocks completely so the rocks were all poking out of this 
you know, paper thin in some instances, a sheet of ice. Yeah. So basically, uh, the, what little water would gather would kind of fill that as a, a, a really shallow pond. And then in the desert's freezing temperatures at night, it'd form what's called windowpane ice. Mm-hmm. And that ice would be moved by the wind and would carry the rocks along. So this is really interesting because I'm imagining, yeah. I, I'm not doing it right now, but I could get a piece of paper uh, and a rock you know, about the, maybe the size of like a 10th of that sheet of paper, which would effectively uh, represent a boulder in this scenario. Mm -hmm. And if I were to put that rock, you know, just push it, literally push a hole through the paper and let it sit halfway on that paper on my desk, horizontal to the desk, I could lift that paper straight up and the rock would just fall straight through. Yeah. But if I just dragged that paper, the rock would go with it. It's not going to tear a hole through the paper. I, I, Matt, that's probably a pretty bad, you know, that's a good, Well, if you think about it, you know, so one of the examples I saw was, you know, in recent um, years, past couple of years, they've had events like in Michigan where temperatures got well below freezing. And so the surface of the lake was freezing near shore. And because there are basically tidal forces in that lake because of its size, um, those sheets of ice were being moved inland and were just pushing and overwhelming everything in their path. So it was like an ice tsunami. Okay, like people's homes were being toppled and, you know, so it's just amazing thing. Not a lot of ice. It was a a very thin layer of ice, but it was enough that when you start pushing, if you start thinking about it, if you started pushing a piece of paper against a wall, the paper could basically fold and bend and crumple until it's a more solid mass. But now imagine that, but the paper's infinite. And it just keeps pushing. And eventually, it's a, it's a thick enough substance that it's going to push whatever's in front of it. Yeah. So the, the rocks... happen up to a certain point, it's going to stop compressing and then right. push the other side of it. And the rocks were heavy, but they weren't so heavy that a mass of ice pushing them couldn't drag them along the ground, especially that ground. Because that ground is... The soil's looser, you know, because mm-hmm. it's mostly sand and dried. Yeah, it's like a lake uh, bed. I mean, it's easy. It's a lake bed. It is literally a lake around, bed. Yeah. So... It's like a silt, a dried silt on top of it. So you've got conditions where magic things can happen because of because of nature's uh, wonders and pressures. So, but what was interesting to me and the reason I chose this particular article from from the Death Valley National Park. So it's there's a caution at the beginning of it. It says caution: rough and remote road. And it basically they recommend that if you are going to go out there, they basically tell you. We don't actually recommend you going out there because it's named Death Valley for a reason. But it's three and a half hours. If you get to this creek bed, Furnace Creek, it's at least three and a half hours in all directions to civilization. There's no there's no cell phone coverage. There's no gas stations. You know, they tell you you if you're going to go in a go in a vehicle that's four by four with high clearance and good tires carry in you know spares multiple spare tires multiple cans of fuel multiple food and you know water and all the things you need because there's a real good chance that if you break down out there you're just gonna die (laughs) so going out and checking this out yeah first it's not a uh, casual thing you just decide to do it actually made a point to say standard rental vehicles are not recommended and often surprised it's not recommended and not just not allowed Outright, there's places up in in Big Island, Hawaii, where you can't. You're not allowed to take a rental up there. They'll tell yeah. you out if we 
see that you've done this, you know, like judging by the dirt on your tires or whatever, we will not refund your money or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, That's pretty funny. So I wonder what this would do to a dead body. I wonder if it would slide it around or if it would just cut through it. Whole like weekend at Bernie's slip and slide edition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm thinking, no. you know, this would be so three and a half hours in every direction says to me, it's a good place to hide a murdered, a dead body. Yeah. Right? And the thriller author in me wants to say, what would happen to that? Like, how, how could we set up like a police procedural mystery where they come across this body that's been cleaved in half? You know, I would think <laughs> the thing, the story that the idea that comes to my brain is someone decides they uh, 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 a pair of people go out into the desert to ostensibly to uh, research this, check this out or whatever. One of them dies maybe at the other's hand and, or maybe, you know, maybe they get into it and they were on drugs or something and he killed him. So he buries him. Okay. In this lake bed. And then time goes by and one of these rocks gets pushed across that and it essentially furrows out part of this guy's shallow grave right. and the body is now visible. And now you've got a mystery to solve. So the, you know, the, the moving, rocks uncovered the corpse and now we have to solve the mystery of the well and the rock could be the protagonist here too it's the one that found the body so it's the first suspect it's the first so (laughs) rock has to prove his own innocence we've we've confiscated the rock i can already see the movie do you want to know do you want to know who plays the rock kevin hart (laughs) oh dang it (laughs) exactly who i was thinking of man yeah wouldn't that be funny yeah i know that's probably been a joke before but if there ever is a movie that features a rock, I think the rock should play the rock. The greatest sadness of all time is that the rock was not in the movie, the rock. No, that would at be all. He could have been Alcatraz, like the prison. We should, uh, there, like, yeah, we should, we should Photoshop him into the, into that movie though. Like his bald head is like the rock. And then Alcatraz is on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like peeking up over the waterline. Exactly. Like the horror movie you never knew you needed. Exactly. Anyway, that was my story. That's cool, man. I, I didn't I did not know about this one. I, I thought I did when I started saw the picture and then I started thinking I was like, no, I'm thinking I think I'm getting it confused with something somewhere else. I don't even know if it's like the related, Nazca lines. Something like the Nazca lines, <laughs> yeah. yeah, or something similar. What so what you're saying though is aliens did this. I I I still believe in the alien theory. I think that's probably the most probable theory. Because ice in the desert. Come on, man. Deserts are hot. Everybody knows that. Come on. Uh, so I'm also in the desert today, I'm not too that. far away in the grand worldwide scheme of things. This is in the area just outside of Phoenix, or as my wife's grandfather used to say, phonics. He was wrong, but don't tell him that. Pahonics. Uh, <laughs> outside of Phoenix, I guess north, northeast, or sorry, north, northwest of Phoenix is the Superstition Mountain, which apparently is not a mountain. It's It's a range of... Yeah extremely uninhabitable and very hard to traverse and uh, there are mountains and you know dots of of rock features and all that largely this area is called superstition mountain and it was given that name by the uh, spanish conquistadors that came through specifically coronado francisco vasquez de coronado you probably know this story that there's the seven golden cities of sibila right the the myth the legend that there was these seven cities of gold somewhere in the south north american to mexico to central american kind of region somewhere in there 
So it's a yeah. vast region, you know, covering, you know, Aztec land, Olmec land, and of course, in North America, the Comanche, Aztec, Navajo, all that guy, all those guys. So somewhere in, in that area of civilization was this, or these cities of gold. So in 1540, a Spanish expedition tried to find them. Uh, I should back up and say that this isn't actually about the seven golden cities of Sibylla. This is about the lost Dutchman mine. Yeah. I should have said that up front. But this all starts with the story of the Spanish expedition that Coronado launched. Now, they uh, met up with the Apache Indians, a Native American tribe out there, or peoples, I should say, and they inhabited this whole region. And of course, being the uh, the tricky Native Americans that they are, they said, oh, there's some gold, but you got to go up those mountains. Like, basically, get away from us. We're going to kill you. But if you want to look for gold, it's totally up there in that place that most people die when they go visit. Yeah. Because the locals, these Native Americans, refused to help them because they thought it was the home of the Thunder God. Again, people go up there, people die. So they're like, hey, <laughs> you Spanish jerks coming into our land, go look for gold up there. So, of course, the men uh, went up there and they started disappearing mysteriously one by one. A lot of these guys were found mutilated later, sometimes decapitated. A lot of the, of course, the remaining Spanish guys were like, yeah, screw that. I'm, gold is not important enough for me to lose my life. So they dubbed the mountains Superstition Mountain. Monte Superstition is what they called it. The next chapter in the story is a Jesuit priest by the name of Father Eusebio Francisco Quino. This guy, good-hearted, Jesus-loving fellow, said, you know what? There is nothing more important to me than turning all these natives into Christian. Wait, what? There's gold? I'm going to go look for gold. <laughs> so he comes ostensibly to go look for or uh, ways to, to Christianize the natives. It's about 150 years after Coronado's expedition. And he gets there and immediately hears about Superstition Mountain because these Apaches are like, oh, you're here to uh, yeah, oh, go look for gold up in the mountain. That's like their trick, I think. So they do. It, or so he does. He goes up there and looks for gold. It apparently the myth is that he did find some gold, but no one knows where it came from. And yeah. then he died. <laughs> Another, the next chapter a little bit later on was the area now known as Arizona, which of course includes superstition mountain was given to this whole state was given to this Mexican dude named Don Miguel Peralta by the Spanish crown, I guess. So the Peralta family found the mine, or I guess, start, I don't Somebody started the mine at some point and gold was officially coming out of this area. So we have record that Peralta did extract gold from the mine. And however, again, the Apaches still live there. And they were like, we don't want you to go up in there. This is our thunder god mountain. So they started attacking the gold miners. Miners. Eventually, the Peraltas just gave up and said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to stop doing it. And oh, whoops, all the maps and knowledge of where the mine is, we lost it. So this is kind of where the legend starts to become like a real, you know, hey, there's actually some gold there. But no one knows where it is. Now we have to go find it because that's what we do. Uh, so attracted a lot of treasure hunters to the region. This is in the 1700s, 1750 area. And so it, apparently it was clear that the Apache knew where the gold mine was located. A little bit later on, the US, a U.S. Army surgeon named Dr. Abraham Thorne was actually taken to a mine. It doesn't say this mine, but it was taken there. He was stationed in Fort McDowell, north of Phoenix, and he was considered on good terms with the Apache. He cured some of them of an eye disease. They wanted to reward him. So they blindfolded him, took Thorn up to the mountain, Superstition Mountain, and they took him to a mine. They said, carry all the gold you can, and that's your reward for helping us. But <laughs> he was greedy. He thought he recognized a rock formation there. So he's like, I can find this. Once he took his blindfold off, he's like, oh, there's, I can find that rock formation again, and I'll know where I am. 
I'm going to come back and get some gold. So he did it, found it again, the story goes, took the gold once again, and the Apache were like, nope, sorry, man, dead. So they killed him on his journey home. <laughs> so much for being on good, friendly terms. Okay, this is where the next chapter in the 1860s, about 100 years later, this is during the gold rush uh, time in American history. This is where it gets the lost Dutchman's name. And a German prospector by the name of Jacob Waltz settled in Arizona, and he met up with uh, a, a guy named Peralta, apparently, who allegedly came from the Peralta line and said, I'm going to give you deed, temporary deed to this mine. And so he showed him and his partner, Jacob Weisner, where to go. So they began mining and Waltz left the mine at one point to get more supplies. He came back and his buddy was dead. Uh, so again, Waltz takes a, a chapter out of Thorne's playbook and gets as much gold as he could carry, covers everything up and returns to Phoenix. He guess he got to keep the gold because he died in 1892, considerably later. So he had enough money to have a good life in, in Phoenix, I guess. Apparently the reason it's called the Lost Dutchman Mine was because the, you know, the German word is what English people there would have pronounced Deutschman Mine. It's owned by a German guy. They called it the Lost Deutschman Mine or it became the Lost Dutchman Mines. That's where it gets its name. Um, okay. However, as you can tell by all these chapters in history, it goes way back to mm -hmm. the Spanish and before that, when the Apache were probably new to the region, they found it themselves. I find this whole story very fascinating. I find this to be another instance that you and I discover all the time of there's usually some significant amount of truth to every myth and legend. Yeah. There probably is a mine somewhere in Arizona that at some point, at least, had gold in it. Whether that's still full of gold or not remains to be seen. And where this exactly is remains to be seen. Now, I sent another link I'll put in the show notes, which I, th I just think this is kind of funny. This is like some guy's blog. Yeah. Uh, and they claim to have found the Lost Dutchman's gold mine. I was just reading. About not that. a very good writer. Sorry, man. Uh, no, it's okay. <laughs> he's just not. No, I'm apologizing to the guy writing it. If you're listening uh, to this. Sorry, guy. Sorry, guy. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, you're not bad, but yeah, you are. He's a biker and he goes down with his buddies, I guess, once a year or so. And they go hike through this area. And they, at one point, they claim they found the Lost Dutchman mine. So rather than just give us all the goodies all at once, like a good storyteller, he's apparently dropping hints on his blog every year. Now, it does say that he's going to, don't worry, guys, I'm going to reveal everything in 2020. <laughs> I'm thinking conspiracy here, man. He probably started the COVID pandemic so that he wouldn't have to reveal his secrets, where the Gloss Dutchman mine is. Yeah. That's just fun. It's cool. They, so they named their little, they have an exploration and discovery company called Arcana. And okay. it's him and his buddies. And they go out there and they do say how impossible this land, this terrain is. Yeah. Um, but there's all kinds of cool stuff they found. They do claim to know you know there's some red herrings here which i good for him for knowing what that is that's cool anyway it's just that's kind of cool there's so there's this is kind of an ongoing thing people are looking for this this mysterious ancient mine in the in the arizona desert yeah uh, so all kinds of fun stuff here so my yeah. understanding is it has not been found officially yeah i i don't think it has they he claims it has <laughs> jeff howlett which just he just sounds like an explorer that sounds like yeah, an explorer. Sounds like an explorer name. So, yeah, I love the Howitz uh, Journal. I want to find out more about Arcana. Sure. What it is and how it's formed and what how it continues to exist. Is it just like a little? Is it just the name of something they privately fund? I you know. That that's my guess. Is it's just hey, this is a club. Yeah. You know, there, there's some bikers that get together and, and they go and they traverse the country. Um, 
But I'm already kind of thinking I would expand that into some sort of, you know, this group goes around hunting treasure, you know. They do. Okay, I'm reading his bio on his website. It says, it seems a bit ironic that late in my life, I have formed Arcana Ex Exploration and Discovery. And we have been searching for a long lost gold mine perched next to a hidden ledge in the Superstition Mountains of Arizona. I think what's going on is he's just, they, these guys go out and they, they search and they, they look for this specific mine. Yeah. That's where they want to go yeah. on their bike trip. Yeah, uh, and they end up there for a few days hiking around, looking for gold, and they're just like, oh, it, "It's like the, you know? it's like the whole ghost hunters thing, you know, where yeah. they form a group, and they it can become somewhat official, you know." That's like, the thing; it's just time makes it official. They're just yeah. like, "No, this is we've been doing this for ten years. Arcana is a real thing. It's just three people, you know." Mm -hmm. It lends credibility to have it established. Google SEO at 101. You got to have a website up for a while before you start getting juice. That's the kind of thing that fascinates me. And that, to me, that's, and I've seen books that were like this, that were, that featured a group like this or an individual and, and his little organization and their treasure hunters or their ghost hunters or their, you know, Sasquatch hunters or whatever. And are you, know, you pitching me an idea right now, Kevin? Tom am I? Am are I? you saying we should start Kotler Bennett exploration? You know, I have the whole historic crimes unit in my book. I don't, want, I don't want to be part of that. That sounds like government <laughs> shit. I'm not doing that bullshit. No, no. I would. I, I, I like this idea, actually, though. I got, I actually, so I remember reading years ago, I think it was it Isaac Asimov who had a series about these, these guys, wealthy guys who get together and they have a, like a lunch together and, but they'll solve a crime while they're lunching and the butler that. was almost always the one who gives them the solution the black widowers society okay okay and, and and yeah they were just these wealthy elite who would gather at one of these men's clubs and they would someone would posit some mystery you know and then they would discuss it and based on the evidence they had they would solve it while they were sitting there so <laughs> uh, i have this vision now of getting together a group of thriller authors that that do the same thing we're I've always wanted like ben, ben franklin started i think it was called the junto and it was just junto, him yeah. and a bunch of of course it was men only at the time the times they lived in yeah but they would just sit around and smoke cigars and, and drink whiskey at least that's my interpretation of it and they would talk about smart things they would just talk about stoicism like the yeah kind of like the inklings yeah. With C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien uh -huh. and the guys yeah. that did that. Yeah, I, I, you, you and I uh, have a thing with Ernie Dempsey. It's just a Facebook chat, but, you know. We should do it. We should do a video version of that every week. And we should. Just sit around and talk about deep stuff. See if anybody cares. Just Yeah, so uh, take uh, take the greatest mysteries of history and the three of us pick, you know, just discuss our ideas of what the answers could be. That's each each week is a new episode. That's not a bad idea, man. I'm I'm all for it. Cool. I'm all for it. We all come up with our own solutions anyway. You know, you talk about Atlantis. We've each come up with our own story about our theories of on Atlantis, yeah. and you know, we each have our theories about you know Antarctica and the Mayans, and you know, you get a oh, cool. handful of th thriller authors together. You never know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. Yeah. There you go. The well, birth we'll of a going. possible potential podcast. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what he says. Cool. Yeah. No. This is I've I I had heard I've heard this story before, and I've always been kind of fascinated by the idea of it. The super superstition mountains are something that come up in literature a lot. A lot of stuff that I read involves that region, you know. And there's something about 
Death Valley and you know the the all the mesas and everything in Arizona and all this stuff is there's something haunting about it. Yeah. And so it it evokes this kind of when you're there especially whoops it's it's just it's profound. Like I've been to these places and, and slept in these places <laughs> and not Death Valley. I haven't been to Death Valley yet, but you know some of these mountain ranges and stuff and you know being out in the middle of nowhere in a van or in a tent or whatever and uh you suddenly realize like all the things you know about life are wrong in some way like you know don't matter actually right. like right. i i know that if i'm hungry right now i can go down to my fridge or i can take a you know a bike ride to a a, a convenience store or a grocery store or something uh close by and i can get something to eat but if I'm, you know, th three and a half hours from the closest civilization, you know, and I have, and that's only if I have a working four by four that doesn't, you know, break an axle or get a flat, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a game changer for you, you know, to be in yeah, the middle of yeah, those yeah. places. So, yeah. So that's why a lot of very interesting stories can come out of things like this, you know, like I, in, when I wrote Sleeper's War, it was set in an area like this where... There was actually a, a cavern that was, I think, it, I don't remember if it was conquistadors or if it was, I don't remember who it was. I had uh, setting, a, they had set up a sort of home base there because of this herb that was growing there. But, um, you know, I got to play with the idea of being stranded in the desert with no nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, and, which uh, <laughs> is terrifying. I've been in situations like that before where I'm like, yeah. it's safe, but I'm, it's, it's not hard to imagine what it would be like if, things went awry it wouldn't take much for you to be not safe anymore you know and i've had lots of experiences like that where you know we were one flat tire away from yeah. being stranded or something yes. yeah and it changes your perspective everybody should probably do that go through that at least right. once in their life you know just to get the uh get it in your head that you are only there's only a thin veneer of civilization around you at any given time it yeah. wouldn't take much for you to find yourself stranded and having to survive by your wits and whatever resources you happen to carry with you. So yeah. anyway, that's a little off track, but I, you know, both our stories involve these remote places and reasons why someone would be there. The, these two ideas are similar in theme and could both be thriller novel topics easily. Absolutely. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Cool. Easy. Maybe they will be like Sunday morning easy like Sunday morning. I think that about wraps it up. Yeah. Okay, this bye. is a good one. <laughs> so long. See ya. Don't get lost in any deserts. <clears throat> oh, man. Now, good stuff, man, as always. Yeah. You heard it here, folks, first. You heard it here first, folks, first. I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. We will, of course, have more incredible, amazing stories that are also real. Uh, brought to you by the good folks behind the best-selling Harvey Bennett series and the Dan Kotler series, Kevin Tomlinson and Nick Thacker. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Stuff that's real. Looking for a great new thriller? 
Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think, from mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels. Our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str.